Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector GP podcast. I am your host, Bono GP, and joined with me, as always, is the creator of the Red Sector, Josh Wilson. Josh, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, off a 12-hour shift, so pretty tired, but obviously with it being you know, the, the end now, that's it, the finale, and uh, wrapping up the season, it was you know, quite essential we get this out kind of as, as soon as possible because we have kind of a lot to dissect and digest and discuss, really. Yeah, so obviously, as you will know from the uh, title of this podcast, we are reviewing the Valencian GP, which is obviously the final Grand Prix of the year for MotoGP for the 2022 season. And quite frankly, we had a bit of a mixture of races, I think it's safe to say. Um, yeah, yeah. Moto3 was probably more of like a GP race or maybe a bit of Moto2. The Moto2 race was just a little bit of a mixture of a regular sort of, you know, a pinch of three, a pinch of two, and a pinch of GP. And a GP bike, the GP race, sorry, felt more like a Moto3 race in the, in terms of packs. They were very yeah, like related weren't they? The, the, it the did break up a little bit into groups that we usually see in Moto3. But you're right with with their Euracua. I mean, especially, well, Moto2, of course, was quite lively. And then, of course, as soon as, spoilers, as soon as Agora went down, that was that really. It kind of lost its its kind of uh, mojo, but yeah, yeah, we'll get onto that soon. I'm sure of it. Yeah, and obviously, um, going into this weekend, we had the Moto Three title already confirmed with Ethan yeah. Guevara being the champion since Philip Island, so that was already wrapped. Um, which quite surprises me when I see the same guy who's already won be this competitive post championship yeah at such yeah. a young age um i've seen in years gone by people like your lorenzo's marquez rossi you know we're talking like big 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 um champions here at the highest level granted but when they win a championship maybe even sometimes you see them sort of accept look i don't need to risk anything i've won the title and next year's you know my my aim and they don't maybe risk a lot of it, but yeah, sometimes they still yeah. carry that on, and that's why they're so great. You know, they ease and, off the throttle, don't they? Yeah, like, Ezan Guevara literally has looked more dangerous post-championship as he has done pre-championship. It's quite scary, actually. Um, simply because your mindset's in such a different place. I talk about mindset a lot on this podcast in relation to the calendar and where we are and, you know, yeah, how people it, go about it. Part. Yeah, it's a huge part. And... It's sort of that same thing I was talking about a long time back um, about riders who aren't in the position to fight for a championship in the last few rounds sort of kind of their ears prick up because they go, I need a ride for next year or maybe they just need, you know, that confidence boost and they've, they've sort of like had that kick up the arse and they just spark in those last few rounds. To win a championship and to still be this dominant regardless of result in a sense he tops sessions he's competitive as ever in qualifying he leads races and he dominates on track wherever he is mm. for me Izan Guevara is the most exciting rider as a rookie point of view across all three classes for me next year on probably alongside Jose Rueda I'm really looking forward to coming into Moto3 who if we're talking about news has just became the first rider to win the Red Bull Rookies Championship 
and Junior GP Championship in the same year, which when you look at the talent that's come through that has, yeah. you know, competed in both of these classes at the same time, I mean, we've had Eddie O'Shea on this podcast and the likes of Scott Ogden, who have quite clearly stated how hard it is to be competitive in both. And to win both in the same year, that screams and excitement for me for that for exactly. that rider. And considering, you know, it amplifies the fact that it's not done or it's never been done before, which, yeah, yeah I mean, you uh, if you don't know much about it, you might think that it's a common thing that someone comes through and wins both. But no, I mean, you know, this is like, this is serious. This is serious business if you win in both. And I mean, you know, to touch on it briefly and kind of touch on it in all three, and I probably say this every season, but wow, like next season and all three classes for different reasons, but it's going to be incredible. Because if you look, uh, like Motor 3, like you said, Rueda coming through, um, we have Colin Bayer, who's the one of the um, only Dutch riders that we're actually... Well, obviously, we've got Bill Ben Schneider in Moto2. To so have yeah. Colin Bayer in next year, who... Uh, anybody that watched the Junior GP race at Valencia will know how exciting he is to watch anyway. Um, we have David Almanza from Junior GP, mm. who did actually wildcard at this weekend's race. Real good talent. He's going to be on the Husqvarna next year. Like... Anyone that watches Junior GP or Red Bull Rookies knows, having watched those um, championships, if you just keep track of a few of them that make it, you notice, A, how competitive it is to go up to Moto3, but the ones who do well in Red Bull Rookies and carry on that form going forward, you look at Danny Halgado, Ralph Fernandez, Pedro Acosta, you know, mm. not talk, Izan Guevara, you know, people who have come through Oliveira. that category. Peko Bagnaia, who came through Junior GP. Fabio, who came through Junior GP. Like, all of these riders are proving again and again how good it really is to watch that series. I'm Honestly, we were talking about this pre-recording um, in terms of how much content there is next year with the sprint races. But if you ever find yourself next year spare you know, hour or two and you don't know what to watch on a weekend. If junior GP is on, I promise you watching one race, it, I'm not saying it will hook you forever, but it's one of them that you might just see one little spark. And then in two or three years time, you will hear that name get mentioned again, possibly mm. not, all, not always, but you see so much talent come through these, these ranks. And quite frankly, having spoken to the likes of Scott, Josh and Eddie, it really does show having watched the series and what those riders they are competing against go on to do, how competitive you have to be in order to succeed in those those ranks. Because we just mentioned two, Jose Rueda yeah. and Izan Guevara. Jose Rueda is the most exciting rookie in Moto3 that has been for years, for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's Spanish. Now, obviously that kind of is a bit obvious because we know that, the Spanish like the motorbikes, and there's always a million Spanish in in the mix. But you know, unlike other countries where you know Donna have a bit of a an influence or say in in who gets a, in who gets what seat, and and it's a bit like right, well, we kind of need some PR from this country, or we need some representation from this country. So there's a bit of backing financially, and you know things like that. With Spain, they don't need to do that. So really, the cream 
with the Spanish riders, the cream does rise to the top. Well, on top of that, I mention it quite often as well, that obviously the Spanish government subsidise motorcycle racing at very, very, very low rank all the way mm. up. Um, so for anybody that doesn't really understand what that means, that basically means that if you are the likes of Jose Rueda, you're not doing what we hear from other English riders, let's say, in the past, the likes of Tom Booth Amos, who have said, I can't afford X amount of thousands to race next year. The Spanish government basically cover all of that, um, if not the biggest chunk of it, because Spanish, um, in, in terms of in Spain, sorry, the biggest sport besides football is motorcycle racing. And, <laughs> you know, I, I was only looking earlier today that this year is the first time we've had two non-Spaniards in a row win the championship since Alex Crivier won all the way up until um, Jorge Lorenzo winning it. Because apart from that, we had Kenny Roberts, Rossi, Hayden, Stoner, Rossi, again, like, do you know what I mean? In terms of like, and then it was Lorenzo. Apart from that, it's been Lorenzo 2010, Lorenzo 2012, Marquez 13, 14, 15, uh, not 15, sorry, we had Lorenzo there, Spaniard still, 16, 17, 18, 19, all Spaniards. Granted, most of them Marquez, but it's, it's still it's it's sort Spanish of, dominated. And, the, and then obviously we had Mir in 2020. Yeah, um, you know, to say that that's the biggest gap, apart from that, it's still like the first time we've had consecutive non-Spaniard champions since 2009-8, being Rossi mm. Rossi, goes to show the last time we didn't have Spaniards dominating was when Rossi was in his prime. If not, yeah. just coming out of his prime. Like that's how much Spain have sort of dominated this sport. And yes, they have a big influence because people know if you're a team owner, you know that they're going to have the backing. You know they're not going to struggle the next year or something. There's more of a project in line for it with Spanish riders. But ultimately, like you say, the cream does rise to the top because every Spanish rider is getting it. Mm. So if you are that dominant, like a Jose Rueda, I mean, I watched the race at Jerez early this year. I think the kid won by nine seconds they're racing on moto three bikes hareth for moto three is very rarely a breakaway sort of race because there's not a lot of you know it's not a tight twisty track it's not a stretched out track the last time i remember a rider gapping anyone at that race i could be wrong feel free to correct me on this but ironically was when brad binder in 2016 came from the back to the front and actually gapped them by about a second which was crazy enough to think as it was, but it's not like everyone's gapping people at a ref every single year. Mm-hmm. And like Eddie O'Shea said, it's unbelievably hard to win at Jerez because everyone's good there. All the Spanish riders train there. All the Spanish riders race there. All the junior riders race there. Everyone's been there to win yeah. by <clears throat> multiple, like not even in the same camera shot is, I'm sorry, yeah, you, that you just have to look at talent. I don't know what does. You just you just have to look at the last corner of the last lap at a ref in every like Moto G, every Moto three race, like season after season. It's always a, a group of them or a few of them, you know, going for it on, on that final corner. It's never like just one rider just coming around the corner, just just waltzing away. It's it's crazy, but yeah, it's it's if you look at the for next season, we yeah you know, we're kind of almost previewing next season, even though we're meant to be reviewing this race, but <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, you've got 
Munoz, uh, Polgado. You've got Munoz will be very competitive oh, next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've mean... got Filippo Farioli who's joining Tech Three. Obviously, yeah. Jose Ruiz is going to be on the IO bike. And last time we yeah. had a rookie on the IO. I mean, I mean the IO like We've got we've got Halgado on it, but like Pedro Costa, Halgado. I think personally, I think if he didn't have his injury issues, we would have seen another whole another side to Halgado. Yeah. But he still looks so good for a for well, a rookie. Halgado, well, he's a champion for a reason, isn't he? Yeah, really. Um, but and again, uh, Moreira. If you go in non-Spanish, yeah, uh, it looks incredible. The form he's been on. Um, he, we have David Salvador. Here. Yeah. Um, and then, God, if you want to mention people who are actually you could go in, on and on. You on could. On. It's it's literally. It seems like every season it just gets more competitive. It Which really is so does. crazy because, like you say, we do literally sit here every single season, and even before the podcast was made. You know, we would have said to ourselves or whoever we sat there watching it with, it's like, God, it seems, it, you know, here every year, it's the best year. But literally, you don't know how good the next year is going to be. But every single time you get to the next year, it's like, how do we cram all this talent into mm. one group? You only yeah. look at people like Ike Lequeno, who I think is a travesty that he's not anywhere near a GP bike, let alone the GP paddock. Yeah, I'm like, you know, it, it squeezes so much talent in. But that ultimately means the cream does does rise to the top, unless you're really unlucky with injuries and the likes of. But yeah, not to go hella off topic. Yeah. But um, the point being, Izan Guevara, which was the original point, has looked so so good. Which leads us into Moto Three, where we had a finishing a, a finishing top three of Izan Guevara, who won by sixty two thousandths of a second by Dennis Onchu in second. Yeah. And then Sergio Garcia, six and a half seconds back with a f- another um, eight seconds back to the, well, peloton, if you like. I don't know if, what, what's the term for the for the following pack. I, don't, I think the peloton's Jesus the front Christ pack. As well. um, but yeah, the, 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 the pack behind, which was consistent of the likes of Foggia, Sasaki and Munoz and the rest of them. Um, but yeah, we had a, a breakaway with Izan Guevara and Anchu, which didn't result in fighting. Onchu went for a different approach because Onchu's usually elbows out, you know, wants to lead and finds himself getting kind of mugged on the last few laps. Mm. Um, and he, he can bin it, can't he? Yeah, he, he yeah, can in, bin in it. That. He always shows good pace. Mm. And I, I thought, I really did think this was it for Dennis. I thought you've watched him for 20 odd laps and, you know, you're going to be analysing him. And I think, honestly, I think Izan Guevara is one of those that's almost like a double bluffer. He's that smart on the bike that he, his racecraft is always so impressive, but because he knew Onchu was behind him the whole time and it was just him and Onchu, I think he would have started showing signs of, you know, it being a little bit sandbag, if you like, at, mm. at times. I mean, the pace was un- unbelievable, but for Izan to get nabbed halfway through the last lap and still have that calm approach of letting him run deep in the last corner, I, pff, he's 18, 19, yeah. whatever he is. I just find it mesmerizing watching a kid be that calm. He's surrounded yeah, by people he's... his age. He's won the title. He don't need the win. Calm. Just calm as anything. Just yeah. it, the head on almost, them shoulders is just You know what it reminds me of? It's like a young Dovey. You know when you watch Dovey back in the day and it would just be like people would lunge in, cut them back. Lunge in, cut them back. It's just that it's almost like eyes in the back of the head. Everyone you say about Rossi, I'm not putting him on the same level as Rossi. I'm just saying that calm sort of 
just know where they are. Well, he's, I, he, he I reminds me of it. It's so hard to race against. It reminds me of Acosta last season where he just seems to be a step ahead in a yeah. lot of rounds. He, he Mirren's really 2017 was the same, wasn't he? If you just, remember. Yeah, just a step ahead of everyone else. He seemed to know what was about to happen. And yeah. then obviously he could, he could then uh, find a way around it. Um, but seeing him again in Moto2 is going to be... <sighs> obviously, we'll get onto that, but Jesus Christ... Yeah, very um, exciting. Obviously, we've got Onchu moving up to Io's squad, yeah. which I think will. I think Io is the final piece of the puzzle. I think KTM recognise that. We we give and I give a lot of slack to KTM, and I don't know if it's a KTM decision or it's an Io decision. I would assume more Io than KTM, but I seriously do think Io looks at Onchu and goes, "Got the pace, you know, got got the mm. uh, the enthusiasm, got the right people around him." but just needs that nurture of when and when not to sort of do X, Y, and Z, which I, I'm not I'm not critiquing Dennis Onchu. I think he's a phenomenal rider. I just think what I've seen from Aki Ayo in years gone by is even if people go on to win a championship or not, that rider always comes out of the Ayo system a lot more well-rounded and not as rash and not as... Mm. Like when they need to buy it, they buy it. Look at Acosta. He's got that tenacity of when he needs to switch on, he switches on. Yeah. But when he needs to sit back and sort of follow, he does. Where I think a lot of riders that come through Moto3, because it's so hell's bells, they can go out of it into Moto2 it, and look at it like a Jeremy Alcobo, who I think is yeah. a bit of a hothead anyway. And it's like, you know, I need to get past him. So it's what? Different, it's a different yeah, they, they just... He's got a great great legacy of nurturing these riders through at junior ranks. And I really do think Dennis Onchu is a massive threat next year if he clicks well with Akiayo, uh, mm. which not many riders don't. So, but, um, I mean, looking at KTM, are they starting to have another problem in terms of having too many riders and not enough seats? If we look at the talent that they do have, I mean, we always, we always seem to talk about this, but, you know, yeah, I mean... Jesus Christ. Which ones are you referring to? Because obviously we're losing Adrian Fernandez. We don't know where he's going yet. In terms of like Moto Three, so who's who's like KTM of Moto Three? Um, you know, who's looking who's looking strong? So obviously, um, Munoz is he? Who's he? He's again? KTM. Yeah, he's KTM. KTM. I mean, Holgado as well. Moreira is going to be a threat. Moreira is KTM. Um, Rueda, is he? Well, Red Bull Rook, is he? He's, so, yeah, he's going to be Io. You've got all of these waiting, chomping at the bit. It's I'll just... tell you what, if Rueda clicks early and Dennis Onchu is on it next year in, in uh, I was going to say Qatar then, in, in Portugal. Oh yeah, Portugal, where we... Uh, I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see both of those KTMs up there next year. I, I don't expect Rueda to go on and do an Acosta. I don't think we should label him with that yet. Don't put the pressure on him. No. But I really don't see Rueda being one of those rookies that takes takes time. I think he'll be yeah. a couple of races in on it, if that. I, honestly, I've got it, so much high hopes for this kid. It, obviously, it, you can't really compare it to Costa because it, it's. A, I think it's a much more competitive field he's going to be in next season as well. Not to take anything yeah, but, away I mean, from Acosta. Yeah, Acosta still had a very competitive field. I think he was just that dominant at the beginning that it sort of put them all to, to the sword. Yeah. But if, if you've got the like a Munoz and Moreira, Sasaki. Yeah, um, Sasaki's going to be strong next year. Ochoa. Messier on the Leopard. 
Yeah, yeah. Let's see you under Leopard. You've got a few names there that you know you can't you can't count any of them out. It's... Andrea Mino for the what seems nine hundredth season of his career in Moto Three. Yeah. Um, which reminds me, we obviously had the last race of the Moto Three career of John McPhee, yes. who finished in eleventh. Which just want to give a bit of a tip of the hat if I had one on to yeah. uh, to John and his career in in MotoGP. Um, quite frankly, I've I've got to say, part of me is disappointed to have never seen him in Moto Two, although he's tested a couple of times in Moto Two. But quite frankly, to see you know, a few wins from a British rider on, at times, very uncompetitive machinery and ultimately great rides, albeit not the most consistent rider in the world, but I can't really knock him for that considering he's been there for how many years he has, so clearly shown his competitive side. I just want to say, you know, fair play and best wishes for whatever he, uh, mm-hmm. whatever he goes on to do. Hopefully we'll have him on here soon. That'd be um, nice. I mean, he's... He never yeah, had the- just... Just sort of a bit of respect. In the world. Yeah, no, he's 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 not had a lot of luck, but at times, I think he'd be the first one to say, you know, he's he's probably let himself down at, at particular yeah. moments. Yeah. But Sometimes ultimately, not many people walk away from a Grand Prix paddock with a race win, let alone race wins. So, mm. it was nice to see him winning Sepang, you know, in terms of the tail end of his Moto Three career. Hopefully, he does have something planned, which I'm sure he does for. Um, for the following year in 2023 but yeah so. no we've lost our uh our old fox if you like in moto yeah. three and oh the baton's been passed to josh and scott for yeah. um for next year which I, I really do think they'll have a better year next year than what they did this year which, 100%. you know i think yeah, josh would probably be the kind of person to say well it can't get any worse but Quite frankly, I think the data and the experience they've had in the first year as a team as well, I think... Yeah, it was, you know, the, first, it's a, it was the first year as a team, never mind them to compete. Yeah, but I don't want to get too far into previewing next year. I just want to tip off... Um, tip off? I want to tip my hat, sorry, to, to John McPhee. But yeah, in terms of Rider of the Day, um, Matt said to me, Onchu, which I think is pretty obvious choice. I, I, I did feel quite bad for him because he looked distraught and I think he really wanted to win in his last race for Tech mm. 3 having come so close so many times yeah. um, for Tech 3 but albeit a fantastic um, effort, a valiant effort from Dennis Onchu. Any choice for you Josh on who you want to pick mm. for Moto 3 Rider of the Day? I don't know, it's a tough one. I, I do find it tough because it's it, I don't know if there was that many standout rides yeah, I want to. I want to question even on Ortola because he was with Garcia in a pack of two chasing the front two, and then just dropped. I think he sort of burnt his tires out quite early on. Yeah, um, yeah, dropped but... down to twelfth. That's a tough one, really. Um... Oh God. Ugh. I'm going to give mine to. Yeah, you go. Give me the... <laughs> I'm going to give mine to Adrian Fernandez because he's finished sixth in what was a great rider. I think he qualified in 24th or something. Mm. Um, to, so to come to, to sixth place is quite a result, really, um, for a kid that doesn't have a ride for next year in the Grand Prix paddock, it looks like. Which it's a, a shame. Is, is, it is a shame, yeah, it is a shame. Well, which... I guess being on a KTM, the competition he's got. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy by any stretch, but, you know... I just hope that Adrian Fernandez gets a chance in Supersport or something, which I'm sure he will. 
And I'm not saying Super Sport's like a huge drop down because we've seen riders come through from mm. Super Sport or maybe even the European Moto3 or European Moto2. We've seen Carlos Tatai today sign for the Mandalika SAG team in European Moto2. Um, so maybe that there's something like that in it for him. But we'll we'll see. But I do think that was a great ride from Adrian Fernandez. So he can have my pick. Yeah, I'll I'll just give it to John McPhee, I think, in the end. You know, because, well, it's the final time, I guess. You yeah, know, the last time gonna, you can give it him. The last time I'll ever give it to John McPhee. And a respectable 11th on a, you know, he, to be fair, he's been, since he came back from injury, bruised, yeah. he's been there or thereabouts in terms of, He's up with these young rookies who are obviously all fearless and have literally nothing to lose. They'll go for everything. They're invincible, and he's and he won a race at well as well at a really competitive track. So, um, yeah, I'll give it to Rider of the Day for the final time, <laughs> John McPhee. Script change. He's signed for Ducati. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, Suzuki return with John yes. McPhee. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's Moto Three for the final time this year. Um, and just a quick note. We will be doing an episode planning to record in the next week. We will be reviewing our predictions for 2022, which I already know in the bag. I have some questionable predictions, but that wouldn't be me, would it? If there wasn't mm-hmm. any really weird jinx. Any Suzuki Yamaha at all? Or... Yeah, um, I think we'll just save it for the next episode before I start digging myself a grave. Any um, Honda love? No. No, there's there's never any Honda love, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, okay, so Moto2, we had Pedro Costa winning his third race of the year, followed by the crowned Moto2 world champion in Augusto Fernandez. And in third, we had Tony Arbolino. Obviously, this, as I said, was one of the races we went into the weekend not knowing the champion was going to be crowned. And ultimately, as much as I feel bad for Agora, I kind of don't because um, Sepang was his own downfall. If it had taken Sepang, he could have cruised into this weekend and not had as much to worry about, albeit still a lot to worry about. But having looked at the pace, I I mean, you could say as well, the pace maybe for Augusta wasn't quite there because of the pressure of him having to just worry about the championship. But still... Agora was as competitive as Fernandez, if not more. And yeah, I mean, that's racing. But in terms of this race, any initial thoughts? Because obviously we had, we had a couple of incidents. Obviously we had Agora crash, which was... Um, it was quite a strange crash, I thought, as well. I think he outbraked himself. He, yeah, he looked he very, very late. He was pushing. Like, he was yeah. pushing, like, never... Like, obviously, he had to. Um, and coming into that corner, obviously, the way... He was carrying too much speed and he went off, but I think, uh, yeah, it was it was still an odd one because I wasn't really expecting a crash there. To be fair, but mm. yeah, um, obviously we had Simone Corsi, who oh, actually is another on, rider that is um, that is leaving the paddock. He has been in MotoGP since two thousand and two. I think I read it right, two thousand four. Wow. What? Um, back in the one two fives, yeah, he's he's been around for a while. Simone Corsi. Who, Bowed out, unfortunately, not finishing the first lap of this race, but albeit I'm sure he's not absolutely, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 raced a fair few. Alonso Lopez obviously got wiped out by Jeremy yeah. October, which I think is unbelievably nice to say one long lap or whatever it was, even if it was two long laps. Yeah. Um which 
is kind of contradicting shock horror with these stewards that Celestino Vietti goes into Portugal next year with a double long lap for <laughs> ignoring, I forget what it was. What was it exactly? Was it for was it for ignoring the? Uh, uh, yeah, I know. I, I vaguely he was. What did he ignore again? Was it a, a yellow, like a wave? Let me oh, have a look. God. Um, but yeah, obviously we had Chelsea Vietti crash um, again. For he just oh, he can't God. keep on it, can he? Uh, this second, second half of the season, he's just a, yeah. Forget about it. I mean, you think. You think Fabio had a bad second half of the season? I think VA pips him to the post for that because it has just been an absolute disaster since the summer break for VA. Um, well, I mean, you'd expect it just summed up his season that didn't it? it? Really did. And Cambobier as well. Yeah, he had literally such. He was his pace was doing well, wasn't he? He was really. Yeah. Who was he? Who was he hot on the heels of? Was it Fernandez? I think it was, wasn't it? was it? the top three, yeah. Yeah, and he yeah. was going for it. And, of course, um, he's leaving at the end of this. That was his last race. Yeah. The last race shame. curse. Yeah. John, and, McPhee, John McPhee, of all people, survived. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm assuming that he that's uh, Matt's rider of the day. <laughs> I'm assuming. Chantra. We obviously had Crash. Ah. Pacini was the rider that got knocked off, sorry. Not Alonso Lopez. It was Pacini who was doing amazing on that our, um, RW Racing GP's team uh, bike on the Calyx. He, he's, I, I, I say this all the time, and I, when I went to Mugello this year, I loved seeing that man on back on a bike. I've always had such a soft spot for Mattia Bassini. And it was so sad seeing him get knocked off. Um, but yeah, they, I suppose those things happen. Aaron Kinnett crashing, which, Anna, which I think we've said, yeah. you know, albeit he's not won a race, but his consistency is what made him so competitive in the first start of the season. Yeah. But and again, it's sort just, of just dipped, normal it? service for Canada now with a crash. You kind of expect it yeah. at this point. But again, hopefully he can kind of regroup and go again next season. But oh, Jesus Christ, again, Iagora, I, Acosta. You know, yeah, Agora, Acosta. <laughs> again, with so many, there's so much competition. Tony Arbolino. Yeah, it's you don't really want to be. I don't know. It's it's you. You don't want to be going going into next season off the back of like this kind of season where it's been really rubbish formed. You know, the likes for Vietti and Canet, yeah. where they've had a really shocking end to the season. Yeah, I mean, um, for anybody that has not kept track of, which I don't actually blame you if you haven't, because Moto Two sort of just filled it into a two man race. Um, the Moto Two. Championship ended on Augusto Fernandez on 271.5. Obviously, we had the half points awarded in Thailand for the red flag. Ayagora on 242. Um, Kanet on 200. Tony Arbolino 191.5. Pedro Acosta in fifth, which I think is a great year, personally, for 177 mm-hmm. points. Considering he broke his leg for yeah. like three or four rounds. Um, Jake Dixon who finished in sixth. I think that's something to be uh, definitely to be he, proud of for Jake. I think he's, again, he's had a kind of polar opposite second half of the season. It's been quite a strong second yeah. half, I'd say. Yeah, I think Jake's just finding that final piece of the puzzle, isn't he? Yeah. Just sort of piece together some more consistency in the top three, top five. And then the point I was going to get to is Celestino Vietti finishes this year, albeit at the start of the year, leading the championship and a multiple Grand Prix winner this year, 
finishes in seventh on 165, which I will reiterate, Augusto Fernandez finished on 271 and a half points. So Vietti has finished at least 100 points behind, having led it by, I think, what, 40 points or something, was it, at some point, 50 points? Was, I know it was early, but... It was, um, yeah, he was... Uh, yeah. He was Well, he was quite handily in front at first, and that was kind of not just down to him being a bit cons- well, consistent, but also, like, everyone around him just faltering. No one really had much form at the beginning of the season, apart from Vietti. No, but he, was, was he? he wasn't even just, like, pipping it. He was... Oh, yeah, he's, he was clear he, race winner, wasn't he, was he? Every time, first, second, first, DNF, second, sixth, eighth, DNF, first, and then from about um, Catalonia, and then he DNF'd in Germany, uh, fourth in Netherlands, sixth in Britain, and then that's kind of when he's it started the, the, the rock kind of setting after that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, literally, wow, he, he went sixth, DNF, DNF, tenth, DNF, tenth, DNF, DNF, DNF. So it just not winning championships. It went, no, it went downhill really, really, really fast, and everyone picked up the form. He dipped, but I mean, he looked in at times like Portugal when he was mm. second in Portugal, yeah, simply by not being near the front and not crashing out. Um, yeah. So he kind of looked in, but he can rebuild and regroup and go again. I mean, I think you know he's there's not. It's just again, it's one of those. It's it's another season with more competition, you know, an Ayagora which is going to come back stronger. You, like we said, you know, Costa coming in and and coming in fully fit in his second season. Jake Dixon, hopefully, who will be, you know, I'm a bit of a challenger next year. Um, I really am. I, I, Lopez, and then not to mention the the Moto three uh, rookies who are coming up and that. So yeah, um, yeah, I think Vietti. Oh, yeah, I don't he, know. I, I can't really. He's a hard really... one, isn't he? He's, he's a bit of a hard one to put your finger on, I think, with the eight. Well, but... it, I know there's always rumours floating about, but like early on in the season, there was he was linked to the VR46 team, GP team, because everyone thought he was just going to romp it. And, and the RNF that. team as well. Yeah, and obviously that quickly changed. But um, who else really in the race then? Uh, of course, if we, look at, if we look at us and who we have interest in, of course, Joe Roberts, 16th. Uh, Sean Dylan Kelly for eighteenth, uh, a uh, fifteenth for Joe Roberts. Sorry, eighteenth for uh, Sean Dylan Kelly. So I kind of yeah, I mean disappointment on that front. Just before we get on to uh, like rider of the day and specific people in that race, ultimately I do want to just make it clear that I, I am not taking anything away from Agora and saying that Gusto Fernandez was given the title. I just want to say very deserving champion. Um, one on different machineries, you know, he's raced for Pons, he's raced for VDS, and he's now raced for KTM IO. And I have a lot of respect for Augusto Fernandez in the sense of he's not done it like all the others have done it. Like we were talking about earlier, and coming from Junior GP to Moto3 and come through, he was, for anybody that doesn't know, he was racing in the European Moto2, which I referred to with Carlos Tatai signing for. He was racing in that, I believe, and then Hector Barbara, anyone who remembers him from back mm-hmm. in the day, great 250 rider, went on to GP to race in a few years and went back to Moto2 um, yeah. to race for Pons. And then I think it was either just before or just after the Hareth race in 20, I want to say 18, uh, I guess, 
could have been 19, um, was fined for drink driving and completely lost his job, gone completely out the paddock. And Augusto oh, came in to replace him. And at the time, it was sort of just like, you know, it, they've had to get somebody in out from outside because everybody's signed up. So they've gone for this kid. Didn't have a definite seat for the following year. And then just built momentum, built momentum, had his ups and downs. And then, you know, fair play to him is what I'm saying. Because, uh, you know, this year, somebody had to take that baton. When Vietti was dipping, it was an open door for someone to come through and say, if you really want this, then you've got to come in and have some form and you will rise yeah. to the top. And Agora's done yeah. exactly that, as well as Fernandez. And they were both deserving, I think, of a championship with how they've rode this year, especially the second half. Yeah, yeah. But fair play to Augusto because, you know, he's not exactly had an easy road in. And obviously now he's racing in MotoGP next year, already the 2023 uh, Rookie of the Year because he's the only rookie next year. But, um, yeah, no, I just want to say fair play to him. Well, no, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the mental fortitude he's had at times in this course when it was, you know, Gora, the momentum swung his way. Because don't forget, Fernandez obviously DNF'd at um, Phillip Island. Yeah. Which was a huge blow. And again, Agora only only finished eleventh, so it wasn't massive. But um, you know, at that point, it really did look like you know that it, that was over. Really, it was it was Agora's for the taking. So um, you know, he has again a lot of mental strength, a lot of mental fortitude, and he's he has managed to kind of carry that with him and use it in a practical way. To, to come out on top because again the, the, the motor two isn't a walk in the park uh, at all. No. Um, I know we get the odd season like uh, last season where you know it was literally just um, Fernandez, um, oh. Raúl Fernandez, and Remy Gardner like the whole season just them two. But it isn't like that. You 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 do have so much competition, and like we keep banging on about it. Next season is going to be one of the most competitive seasons in recent memory. I think. In Moto2. Yeah, no, it's, it has been a great year for Moto2. And I think we've stated multiple times throughout the year how much we were enjoying watching Moto2. Mm. Um, and frankly, I, I think next year is only just going to get better because, like we keep saying, but the, the talent just gets, you know, it just increases and increases. But even when we've had years in the past where the talent's been there, but just not quite that cutting edge of competition. Yeah, not developed and not... Yeah, I I think it's now hitting its sweet spot where they've they've just about got it right with Moto2. Um, And maybe that's credit towards Triumph, switching from the Honda to Triumph in terms of the the characteristics of the bike Mm. and how they can fight closer or whatever. I'm not 100% sure. But one thing's for sure, they sound beautiful in person. Oh, yes, they do. And they've given us great racing. So whatever it is that they are doing, please, for the love of God, Dorna, don't do what you normally do and go, okay, let's change it or let's, you know, go against what people want. Because I think yeah. people are loving Moto2 as it is. Um, so, yeah, Matt's mo- uh, rider of the day is Augusto Fernandez. I mean, albeit he did finish second as well. People do have to <laughs> remember that. And he's not just been crowned world champion. He did finish 1.2 off of Pedro Acosta, which we've not really spoken on that ride, but that was a fiend, like, phenomenal, commanding, commanding yeah. ride um, from a Pedro Acosta, who is a rookie. So Yes. Uh, he's yeah, kind of putting himself back out there to say, look, I'm yeah. still here. I'm so, don't forget about me because next season you, you're going to remember me. Yeah, so fair enough for Matt to pick him. Um, 
my rider of the day is going to be Senna Agius, who I have given a lot of praise for, actually, since he came in in Austria to replace Sam Lowe's. Not an easy task to do on what is seen as one of the most competitive, of, if not the most competitive bike over the probably span of Moto2's existence at Mark VDS. Came in with a top 10, finishing in ninth. Um, never raced there, I don't think. I could be wrong in saying that, but never raced there in Moto2 anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't really fault anybody for that in terms of the fact that he's a replacement rider and you're getting in the top 10. In Moto2, which we've said, for anyone to jump on any three categories, GP, if you've had like, you know, sort of world superbike level of power, you, you you've, there's a lot to learn, don't get me wrong. But like, there's so much support there in terms of the the amount of people around them. Moto three is a lot more nimble, a lot easier in terms of the the gap. But notoriously, the hardest jump is from three to two because mm. of how different the Moto two bike is and how you know the the character of the bike and how it rides is so difficult for you to come in and race for Moto two at World Championship level and get a top ten at a, a track you've never raced at in that category. You get my vote. So yeah. he is my rider of the day. Um, for me, oh, uh, let's have a think. Is it Maybe Jeremy, Jeremy T-Bone Steak Alcoba by any chance? <laughs> no, it's not. It is not. Um, probably Aldegar, actually, I'd say. I think he had a good showing. Because um, he's, had, he's had a very strange season, hasn't he? Up and down, Fair very enough, in the dark Aldegar. race for Aldegar. He didn't really get much of a viewing, did he? No, he didn't. But again, he's putting some good performances. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just feel like you know, what's he on that bos- Boscus? I always Boscura. I cannot say it for the life of me. <laughs> but he's on that the Boscuscora, which is just. Well, in recent times, he's been fairly competitive. Say, yeah, this it season, has got more competitive. In, to be fair. in recent times, it's been a pilot. A pilot head, so yeah, I'll give it to him. I think, and an honourable mention to Marshall Schroer if we're go- if we're continuing that little yes. tradition, yes. final race, of course. And actually, he's been half decent this season as well. I think he's had one of his better years, Marshall mm. Schroer. Um, and also, quick shout out as well to Borja Gomez, who was actually replaced in the injured Jorge Navarro at the Pons team. Obviously, another very competitive bike in terms of what they're viewed as in this championship. And to get 12th as a less experienced replacement rider definitely deserves a shout-out as well. Um, so, mm. yeah, because he's finished in front of some very good names. So that's it with Moto2. And moving on to MotoGP with a finishing order of... And I give... I don't give a 1,000 British pounds, but I give, as we discussed before the podcast, our <laughs> our reward is going to be fantasy MotoGP fantasy tipster points if you gave this prediction out pre-race of a Alex Rins winning Brad Binder in second and Jorge Martin in third um obviously we had Peko Bagnaia crowned as MotoGP world champion in front of Peko Bagnaia uh, in front of Fabio Quattararo and Anea Bastianini who actually ended up pipping a Lacia Sparco 2P3 with both Aprilia's failing to finish so very bizarre very bizarre um a bit of a like i say before the whole review sort of started it was i don't really know how to describe this race it had its spells of 
really good racing and it had its spells of sort of stagnating at the front then at the back it got really interesting and then when it got front uh, interesting at the front the back started stagnating but mm. it sort of plateaued at the end where i thought it would where you had the likes of yeah you had a lot of the vr46 boys around peko who were obviously not going to lunge on peko and even yeah it, it wasn't going to make much of a difference um it, it did get to that point where it was just a, the last, how many laps would you say, was just basically a formality, a foregone eight, conclusion. Something like that. I was still kind of thinking, right, just need the top three to take each other out, just in one fell <laughs> swoop, and then it, it's on, there's drama, but obviously... Yeah, I mean, I was saying at the time, even if Pecco finished, if all Ducatis finished at the back, they would, you know, if, if, if Pecco was right at the back, sorry... All the Ducatis could just move towards the back and let him to the front, yeah. and he would he would finish in the points anyway. Um, which is why I think it is a bit daft to have that many Ducatis, but that's a whole other topic. Um, yeah, Donna's fault. But albeit credit to Alex Rins because he he started in fifth, I think, and got to the front on the first corner. Great start and led yeah. from start to finish. So apart from the entertainment side of things, from a rider's point of view, that is literally a perfect race. Um, Brad Binder, who had a fucking brilliant race, as soon as he got past Pecco, it was just like the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one, yeah, which was... I didn't expect from a KTM at Valencia, but fair play because he's ragged that bike around like no yes. other. I mean, like we say, that'd be Brad Binder's always been a Sunday man, hasn't he? And yeah, uh, if he can become if that KTM and himself could become a consistent Saturday man, then yeah, you've got to ask yourself where what yeah. possibilities are for him. I mean, obviously, we had Miguel in P5, so a good, yeah. a very good KTM. I mean, of all the tracks on the calendar, yeah. this would probably be my least KTM track, just in the sense of everyone's got so much data for that track. It's not really a sort of like, rough kind. Not saying, do you know what I mean? Though it's not, it's not really a well, it's just, just KTM this whole track. season. This whole season, there's not really been a track where you'd think right the KTM. Is going to go really good. Yeah, I mean, maybe the old Austria or something, but apart from um, that, like... So it is surprising, and especially with it being the last race of the season, you you wouldn't expect any major kind of difference or any change to it. So I don't know what... Unless they just try to set up some kind of really mm. random setup or something different, and for hell with it, it's the final race of the season, let's go I a mean, bit unorthodox. The one track I would say I would think ktm would do well at is argentina which might sound really weirdly specific but i don't know i just think it's got huge straight which sweeping that bike show, corners. That, that, yeah sweeping corners kind of got a bit of an aggressive side to it with a couple of corners so it's sort of do you know what i mean like it's got it's got mm. a few of the character characteristics sorry that match the ktm but if we're going off that then that doesn't always happen um because i had fabio on double points for assen he crashed. I had him at double points for Phillip Island, and he crashed. So, what does that tell you? you you've cost him the championship. Basically. Yeah, I, I've cost Fabio the championship, and I'll forever be in um, debt to my favourite Frenchman. However, he did he did ride phenomenal on yeah, Sunday with that bike. Ride. He he won't messing about when he said, "You know, I'm going for it." Simple as yeah. that. He went, and anybody to look at that and go, "Well, he got fourth, so he didn't." It's there's a lot more to it than that. When you look at how Yamaha have done in the years at Valencia and how that bike's been managing this year and mm. the lack of other Yamahas he has around him, the lack of being none to yeah. help him get to where and he needs I, to be. I, and the problem is Morbidelli 
he's good friends with Banyaya. I mean, yes, both, he's kind of stretched both ways, isn't he? It's yeah, he's you know, stretched both yeah, was never ever going to just take a, a lunge down the inside of Banyaya. You know, no. like risking risking everything, even if he is on a Yamaha. Obviously, maybe if 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 I don't know if it was for say fourteenth and and Fabio was winning the race, you could see it. But yeah. any other scenario, it's just not it was never because at that happen. point, Frankie knows that he's not going to finish fifteenth for six laps six laps to go. And what is he? Four, Pekka finished fourteen point four behind Rins. And fifteenth being Digi finished thirty one, so he's he's not going to finish fifteen more seconds, mm. is he behind where he was in six laps to go? So there was really no point unless an obvious opening came about, which doesn't happen at Valencia because the track is absolutely shit. Um, <laughs> Didn't know so felt, felt that way about Valencia. Um, I just think it's a bit of a car park. Like I said, to, I, I just I don't think it's absolutely crap. The uh, the penultimate corner, yeah, and. Maybe the you know where the long lap is, where there's that yeah. sort of like double right hander. That's that's an all right corner, but I don't know. I just you know what the, I think. The, the race is always held back there, and it's all crammed in. It's just very. Do you know what I mean? There's no breathing space at Valencia. I, I always think of that meme where it's like you know when two people are locking arms, and it's yeah, it's like MotoGP F1. We're like, <laughs> um, both having terrible like final uh rounds of the season in terms of because Valencia's <laughs> rubbish Abu Dhabi's yeah. absolutely shocking um yeah what what's wrong with Brazil as a last one I know we're getting a funny but what's wrong with Brazil as a last one what's wrong yeah what is wrong with those so it's just yeah uh, politics yeah but that's, um that's for another podcast but, but Suzuki Again, oh, it's, I'm it's so sweet. happy for them to, yeah, so happy for them to go out on a win, Rin. I, I, um, well, Rin's showing he is a top class rider when he wants to be, you know, he, he is so, so good. It's just he's tarnished with the fact that he's had so many silly crashes, yeah. um, especially like last season where he was, he had them kind of bugbears about pro- probably the quarter, could have, should have won, winning the 2020. Um, championship. Yeah, um, I think you could say that for a few people, though. And ultimately, yeah. Rins has been there for six seasons at Suzuki, yeah. and he's had his up, he's had his downs, and you know, at the top, top and bottom of it is he has won them races. He has. I'm not saying he's gone and won championships because he hasn't, but well, you know, he's, he's memorable won races, races on it, memorable races. Silverstone, yeah, Silverstone, 19. Texas, obviously. Yeah. Um, we had with. Uh, we had it with Rossi, didn't we? Obviously, when uh, Marquez crashed out, he took the what was at the time known as like took the 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 crown of Cota or whatever it was <laughs> from Marquez. And yeah, no, I, I seriously do think. I mean, Philip Island this year was a phenomenal race. Yeah, it's just, but it's annoying. It, as a zoo, it is annoying. I'm, I'm still, I'm pissed off, and I can't, I can't look at them. Really, I just, I, I just lost all respect. How, how dare they? How dare they abandon it? I mean, th- th- it just shows there's so much potential in that bike. There's so much, and obviously, I hope state. I hope Yamaha are just headhunting as many Suzuki uh, so staff I. as possible. Um, but it's a shame because again, so much potential. They, are, they were doing so well at the beginning of the season. Because um, if you look at Mia's form, that just fell off a cliff as soon as they announced they were they were leaving, they were pulling out, and 
it's a shame, really, because um, Davido Brivio was there, I think. He was there. Uh, Livio Supo as well, obviously, this year. Uh, yeah, and, and well, I'm saying he was there in attendance at Valencia. Oh, um, sorry, yes. yes. Uh, Livio Supo, which I don't know where he's going to go now. Um, I don't think he does. <laughs> I'm sure he's had enough payouts from everyone. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah that's true. Um, so, you got to wonder, though, will will either of them to end up at Honda? Because surely at some point... Um, What's I his face? I can't see it. I He's... can't see Puge giving anything to Supo because I think Puj is the one that originally sort of kicked I him mean, out the door. That day, Brivio's there any space for him? Brivio, I would, oh, I would, I think I would love back. to see Brivio back at Yamaha. I would love it. Honestly, I would like absolutely to love to see him back at Yamaha. Um, He's proven it on on inline fours, and. Maybe it's not anything to do with that so much, but in terms of the culture of Yamaha and Suzuki, he has won with both. Would so? Would he? Where would he fit in with Lynn Jarvis then? I think he would just become almost like a technical director or Mm. something of the same sort. I think he would be almost like his right hand man, or even somebody just below that. That just like I mean, you look at Ducati. There's there's three of them, isn't there? And I, I think. I think Lynn wouldn't. I don't know if he'd be all for it, but I, I think from a Yamaha's point of view, I, I why wouldn't you have Davide Brivio there? And some yeah, people might say, "Oh, maybe one, you know, two's too many." It's you know, you've got to keep up at this rate, at this level. You've got to keep up. You can't just slap behind and stick on your morals and be like, "This is can. this is what we are. This is what we're sticking to," because it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. You you have to keep developing. You have to keep adapting and staying on top. And well, even if Ducati. it's not Davide, I'd love to see, like you say, I'd love to see some of those Suzuki engineers at Yamaha working on top speed so we see even more competitiveness across the whole board. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, it's... That, that's, may, that's maybe another it. podcast completely. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But, um, um, but yeah, no, taking nothing away from the top three that finished on the podium this weekend, which is obviously Alex Rins, Brad Binder and Jorge Martin. Yeah. Martin had a very quiet race, but a second off the race win. He's had a very... Uh, we'll get into it on the, when, when we do our review podcast, but short and sweet, <laughs> he's had a very disappointing year, I think. Well, I think everyone, he'll first admit yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, when everyone's pretty much expecting him to bin it every single race... Yeah. Like, including this one. It was just like, oh, yeah, Martin, there he goes again. Great in qualifying. He'll throw it down the road at some point in the race. Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately, like I said in Moto2, but, and then I said it to Wizan Guevara as well, but fair play to Peko because he's gone and done it. You have to, no matter who wins these championships, you have to tip your hat to them because, you know, we, we, we watch it all year round. Mm-hmm. We, we sit, can sit back and say, they're not pulling the weight or they're not doing as good as X, Y, and Z, but ultimately they are, you know, they, they're the ones doing it where there's a reason we're sat here talking about it and they're sat there on the, on their bikes. Yeah. So full respect to all of them. Cause they're all absolute heroes in my eyes and they're all absolute warriors that get up and get back down and get back up again. Every single time they get knocked back down, they get straight back up no matter how big a crash they have. And it's, it's honestly admirable watching these every single week. And having seen somebody come through like Peko has from Moto3, Junior GP, yeah. even further, and come all the way up to to do that, as much as I wanted uh, Fabio to win, as a long life, long life, as a lifelong, sorry, fan of Valentino Rossi, to see his prodigy 
in Pecco succeed and have an Italian back at the um, the top of the game is nice to see as well. I think even from a neutral point of view, like we were on about earlier, when it's been Spanish, 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 to see Spanish, French, Italian, it does add a bit of a mix of, okay, it's not just Spanish riders like Lorenzo Marquez, Lorenzo Marquez um, at the top winning cha- winning titles. So to see what Fabio and Pecco have done is admirable, but I really do think they've raised the bar. If you want to be competing now, it's not yeah, like it's... where we had that blip, which was no one's fault at 2020, to sort of be like, you know, be consistent. You don't just have to be consistent mentally, especially like we were saying earlier with the sprint races next year. It's you've got to be unbreakable in this yeah, championship. I, you I, really do. It's... And with Pecco, I'm not going to say I, I told you so, but you told me in a podcast. I think we opened a podcast. I think it might have been Magello or something like that. And you were like, it's done. Well, it would have been Saxon Ring. I think it was Germany, Saxon Ring. It was, that was when he was 91. And I did say, did I, did I not, Josh? I did say, I think Pekka will do it, but... That's, yeah, well... It... But to be fair, I, I, I can, I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, I, I've been 100% sure he's done it the whole time. I just... I think when you look at Pekka, well, you could never... if you didn't think he was going to do it, you always knew he was... Ne- it, it wasn't going to go 91, 100, 200 gap. Like, it was never going to keep extending. Or even if it plateaued, he was always going to be competitive. To trust him to go on and win that shows how unbreakable he is mentally. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it it, it looked unlikely because obviously Fabio, that he, the form he was in, and the way that Ducati was uh, in terms of like the development of the bike and everything, it just seemed like that the gap was just uh, you know, insurmountable. Like he'd never I pull think, it back. But I think part of it though was the mental side of it because I think we did see to see break start to see breaks of Pecco like at Le Mans. You know, when Anaya had like battled with oh, him and then he crashed. Yeah, yeah. And then at yeah. Saxon Ring, where Fabio just got past him and then it were like, uh, crash. Like, it seemed like every single time somebody chipped at his heels, it was like, that was it. He didn't, he, he couldn't hack it. Yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah. There has been parts of that. I mean, Mategi, we've seen it in recent times. Well, it's, it's I, when... I just think with Pecco, if he's leading and he's out front, perfect. But I think people will start to see mm. that his Achilles heel seems to be at the minute. Maybe this championship calms him down a little bit. But I think when people have a go at him and have a pop, that's where we've seen the most vulnerable side. Well, well we saw it. Yeah. It's Bastinini nipping at his heels. How many mistakes has he made? Yeah. Through Bastinini nipping at his heels. And Which that, is I think it's so exciting to see head. them in the same team oh, next year. That's so that's, exciting. That's just one kind of storyline which is going to make MotoGP next year incredible. But, um, yeah, I think uh, But at the second half of this season, don't forget that the potential of that Ducati was realised because it became the Ducati we all thought it was, they were going to start the season with, you know, that, that kind yeah, of unbeatable. Because yeah. at the back end of last year, it was the best bike on the grid and everyone thought, well, you know, it's just going to be a better version of that this year. And then it, was awful and that you know pre-season testing was a disaster and the first few rounds of the the season for was a disaster and then we saw obviously Bastianini on the 21 spec just just smashing it and then it just showed how rubbish the 22 bike was and then it seemed that from about the summer break onwards it seemed to get a grip of it and then that potential was realized and I guess yeah, they, from that point onwards there yeah was, there was no Ducati, going back. Ducati have definitely raised the bar and I, that's where I feel for Fabio because I think it is very common knowledge that Yamaha, 
not have plateaued, but they've also almost looked at it like if it's not broken, don't fix it, which I get, I completely get, because we've seen it from Honda where we need more, we need more, we need more, and they've actually ended up going downwards. Mm. Um, it can bite you in the arse a little bit, but if Fabio had a bit more support this year, I do. I, we'll get into this on another podcast when we review the whole year. I, I, I think, I think Fabio would have won. Personally, well, he wouldn't have had. To, I, I think he would have won. He wouldn't have had to take as many risks. No, as he's and, had to do. Yeah, and the support Ducati's got is brilliant. But if it was that easy for all Ducati riders, then they would have all been fighting for the championship. Mm. And granted, not all of them have the same support as Pecco. But personally, I still think Pecco deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. I'm just saying, I think if the support Fabio had was a just doubled and he had a Yamaha in Q2 every round, or if he had a Yamaha that could, you know, kind of just help him up towards the front and give him that data that he needs. And well, if he wasn't fighting by himself, because that's what he's been doing. Yeah, I, I just, it, I, I think it would be a whole other ball game, but that's know, a very hypothetical situation. I'm Mor- not going to get into Mor- that. Morbid has been nowhere all season. Yeah, and neither um, of the other two. Yeah, Dovey obviously didn't even make the end of the season. He was like, you know what, I'm done. Um, obviously, yeah. Crutchlow was just just a bum on a seat. Uh, and Darren Binder was, well, Darren Binder. So yeah. he's, he's never expected anything from him. So it's literally just been Fabio in that team. And when you when you need people up there in the, in the like top 10 or even top five to be helping you out and being a rear gunner or just being in the way... You know, when you don't have that and it's just you, it just makes everything ten times harder. Of course, and it does. Yeah. unfortunately, you know, Yamaha had that had that luxury in the first half of the season where the Ducati was a bit all over the place, and then they had Alish and the Aprilia to fight. They kind of fended that off because I think again, second half of the season they started to to fade, but unfortunately, it just wasn't enough because the Ducati came alive and mm. they just made up the they made up the ground and and Yamaha just didn't have anything to. To combat it, where they had to take more risks, and or they had to, they had to fight on more than one front, and in the end, and yeah, when you're when dumping you all that, your pressure on one man, it's always going to bite you in the arse at some point because that yeah. one man can't can't carry the you know can't carry the whole factory, can he? And that's what he's been doing no. all year. And I don't because I, I know a lot of people are really really kind of pissed off with how many Ducatis on the grid, but I don't blame Ducati. I blame Donna for letting it happen. You know. Yeah, no, Ducati, 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 you know, what suits them, which is completely fair enough. I just, I agree with you. I think it should have been a donor point of view to say, well, if if you want another two bikes and nobody else could get them, then let's just not have two bikes in the grid. Let's just make it more leveled out. Like, mm. I don't know. I, I don't want to get into that massively, but yeah, that's, that is what it is. But ultimately, fair play to Peko, you know, Absolute great ride all year. Um, maybe people will disagree with me that and saying he, he wasn't great in the first half of the year. I still think he rode really well. I just think that bike wasn't really, you know, they, they just had to tweak it a little bit towards the 21 bike with the 2022 machinery that they had, and they did it. So fair play to Ducati. Respect where it's um, where it's due. I'm not going to sit there and be a bit of loser about it because I don't think Fabio's lost a lot this year. I think he's gained a lot, if anything. And um, I think Yamaha... Hopefully, I think Yamaha will come back with a better engine as they've shown in um, in Mizano. Oh yeah, I think I think they'll be a stronger. The, the, the bike will be stronger next season. Obviously, the only issue they've got is no satellite team. And yes. if Morbidelli isn't kind of 
hopefully he'll be informed because we know he's got the talent. But if he isn't, and it's a continuation of this season, or or the season just gone, then I think Yamaha are going to be really in a in a. I think they'll just place. replace him. I don't think they'll be in a in a horrendous place. I I think that's why where we might see top rack come in, or we yeah, might. But see... what do you think? What halfway through next season? Or are you on about? I think it's hard to end. judge, isn't it? I think it's I think it's one of that them. Just... That I think yeah. Frankie is running at the same position, let alone pace, position that he is at now, first five rounds, I think that'll be it. I think that'll be, they'll be like, right, let's get somebody else in for next year mm. or whatever. But, I think that'll be the mindset that they'll have. Yeah. The problem with next season is, you know, you can't, as we've seen in the in this season, you can't really fight and win, win a title with just yeah. one bike on your yeah. own, live as good as good as that bike is next season. As good as Fabio is, and we all know he's one of the best, if not the best, on the grid. If he's up a go going against the Ducatis, you know, God knows what the Prillies are going to bring next season, or the KTM and whatnot. Which goes it's, to show how good tough. the 2021 championship was from Fabio. Yeah. That that year was unbelievable. Yeah, it to was. See him but not only like the remember remember all the shit that happened with Vinales that year at the beginning mm. when it was like this is going to be a great force one of them won the first race one of them won the next race in Qatar oh this is brilliant then he starts trying to fucking like blow engines up sat yeah, no other rider then we had Rossi who were already looking towards the end he you know he were he were on his way out he, Frank he... twisted his knee, so he was out completely. And we had like Jake Dixon getting a ride and Cal Crutchlow getting a ride and every Tom Dick and Harry had a ride and it was like <laughs> bloody hell, like fair play to Fabio. Because with all that going on, you just channel vision of just like championship, 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 and and did it. Um it was flaw- yeah. flawless. It was faultless. Yeah, I season. think I think twenty twenty three will be very, very interesting from a Yamaha point of view. I think it is make or break mm. for, for Frankie, and I think everyone knows that him more than anyone. Um, yeah, that, but that, there's that, sort that. of there's sort of whispers of if it's not top rack, or not even if it's not top rack, but the names in the hat are almost like Jorge Martin, um, Miguel Oliveira, who was in the hat previously, um, and who knows, we might see we might see Bezeki get a ride. It, these riders are not out of the question. Well, I wouldn't rule out. I, well, I know there's multi-year contracts involved, but I wouldn't rule out say Rins or something. I can't see you know, it because he's he's going to be on a HR. He's going to be on an LCR Honda, so he's not on a he's not on a he's not on a factory bike. At the he's age that Rins is at, and the experience he's had on an inline four, and the time he's had on the inline four, and his performance in terms of wins to races mm. competed in. I don't see Yamaha taking the risk in having Rins, pure and simply because of the talent that they're going to miss out if they don't have a satellite that's true. team. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they I think got they will look at somebody team. like a Bezeki, who was still at that age, and Marini, who were consistent, mm. who were quick, young, and competitive on lesser machinery, as opposed to somebody who's not... I mean, we've gone and praised Rins, but, you know, what did I say? Like six seasons on the on the Suzuki, yeah. something like that? And, and that's, if they don't, that's if they don't look to Moto2. And all the options yeah. available there, which yeah, I mean, let's Pedro face Costa it, could be in the hat. Yeah, there's there's a plenty of options for uh, 2024 from Moto Two. Because uh, at, at this rate, if Pedro Costa goes and does, you know, shit wonders, uh, shit cucumbers and does wonders or whatever it is uh, in next year's Moto Two Championship, and KTM go, oh, 
Miller and Binder are already signed, which I think yeah. they are. <laughs> they don't sack anybody. They go Tech three. Do you fancy Tech three? And then Augusto Fernandez or Paul's out. None of them are going to Yamaha, and Pedro might go. I'm not going to satellite team. But if you're if you're a cost, Honda then go. Mia or Marquez. Marquez might not want to stay at Honda. He might. I, honestly, silly season's not been at full flow this year. I don't think personally. I don't think it's been. Huge I think change. well. I think I, next year there'll be massive change. I almost think it's just it's one twenty two and twenty three is just one big silly season really. But Acosta, if you say to him, "Do you want a Tech Three or do you want a factory Yamaha?" I think it's a no brainer really. It's pretty obvious where but, he's going. Uh, although if if KTM pulled the trick they did on uh, Ralph Fernandez, then they'll just be like, "No, you ain't. You're going on a Tech Three, and then we'll just sack one of them too." I think that's a bit different though because if. Fernandez was dealing with RNF and Tech Three. When it's mm. factory Yamaha, if it's one of them. It's the same argument that people have with these big teams in football. If you want them, you'll go get them. And ultimately, if if it is down to factory Yamaha saying Pedro Costa, or if if Honda come in and say we want him, I would I would honestly give a body. I would give an organ to have Joe Amir <laughs> on, a, on a Yamaha. I would. I am so not jealous, but like I'm. I am so eager to see him on a Honda. I am. I'm excited. I would. I, that bloke to me is unbelievably talented. You know, I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize he's still one of the only one of few riders on the grid. I don't know who the others are. We still use a a rear brake. Or, or, or still not rear brake. Still use the the foot the foot pedal pedal to brake. Hmm. I don't I, know. It was in um. It was in the, the guy to ask for that. It's it was in the uh the race podcast, uh not GP podcast, because that's why he had to pull out because obviously he broke his yeah. ankle, didn't he? And he couldn't yeah. do it. But apparently I, I thought they all used it, but apparently not. Apparently a, a lot of them I guess use combined breaks, maybe or something. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. Uh, do you know what, do you know what annoys me? Not about Mia, but he, there's so much disrespect on his yeah. name. So still to this day, not a real champion. And it, the, the disrespect he gets, and he, he's not taken seriously. And he's probably the most, I wouldn't say the most hated rider on the grid, because there's of. a lot, one, one of, of the most hated and disliked riders. And I don't understand why. I do not get it. You know something? I, I don't think I can name one that is more hated than him on the grid. I think he is. I mean, I, there's different factions in it. So obviously Marquez fans are probably going to feel a bit threatened by him. In all honesty, they're not going to like the fact that me is part of part of Repsol now. I don't think so. They're they're, they're going to throw doubt on his name. They're going to disrespect him. I um, don't think a lot of people like him as well because he is one of those that he's not bothered what people think. A yeah. lot of these are PR trained, and he is PR trained as well. And he but he has come out and said a few things that you think, you okay, know, I want to said that. If I not like, I want to said it, but you're not expecting just, it to come. Yeah, from I think and he does. I like he does try him. to play the mind games a lot, doesn't he? he I does. like that about him. Um, he gives me stoner vibes, to be honest. Kind of, and um, and obviously a lot of Fabio fans I've seen on on the likes of Twitter don't really like him at all. And I don't know if that's because of the mind games he tried to play in twenty one, or if it's or if it's partly as well because he he kind of beat Fabio to a title in twenty twenty when it was kind of it was almost not written in the stars that Fabio was going to win that, but. Once Marcus crashed, once Marcus was, he was a favourite, wasn't he? It was like, right, well, this is 
this is Fabio's time after 2019. This is mm. this is Fabio's time. And then Mir all comes out of nowhere and wins it. And it's yeah, a bit like, Hang I've on, got it? nothing but respect for Joan Mir. I think, honestly, I've said it for years and years and years. And I remember watching him Moto 3. And even the, I remember when he made his debut in 20. Oh, if I'm going to guess here, I think he made his debut at Phillip Island in 2015. And he was just the bee's knees in terms of everybody talking about him. In 2016, sort of, you know, got to grips with it, won in Austria's first ever race win. And then next year it was like, boom, just came out the blocks and just mm. wiped the floor with everyone. Um, kind of like we're talking about Isan Guevara. Maybe it's a Mallorcan thing, I don't know. <laughs> um, but then in Moto2, just looked fast instantly. I think he signed like a three-year, four-year contract with VDS, which at the time was like, fucking hell, like yeah. four years. Suzuki, like we just spoke about, just said, buy Matt. Buy Matt straight away. He was still partially contracted with VDS, which is why... On his first year at Suzuki, maybe even his second year, you'd have seen like VDS sponsors on him. So he was still like sponsoring the VDS. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is why, because he signed a multi-year contract with VDS. But this this guy is so talented. It is, it is a th- honestly, it should be a crime for people to give him the stick that he gives. Like, if he was doing something that I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. You know what I mean? Like, if he was like mm. ignoring interviews and if he was... um I don't know, let's say selling merch for £200 a shirt or something, I'd be like, fair enough. Like, There's a reason there for you to, to give him a bit of stick. But let's just talk about the rider and the person that he is and what he's done on a bike. The guy is unbelievably talented. And let me tell anybody that doesn't know, and this is coming from somebody that doesn't work in the paddock, but just takes in everything everybody comes out with in that paddock, is massively respected in that paddock in terms of the quality of rider that he is there are so many people in that paddock that would put him up there with the likes of fabio and pecco they just would like not just because they're they're all one-time gp champions pure and simply because people don't look at that year and go oh it's a fluke or whatever that guy had a year on a bike and then won the championship on a suzuki that had not won a championship since kenny roberts jr and then not mm-hmm. won races since like Vinales or no, since since Rins, the odd time, Vinales itself, you know, in and out, it was always cool conditions. The odd time it worked in slightly warmer conditions for a podium. That was it. He comes out and wins in his second year with all the pressure of COVID and the lack of support they had through COVID. I mean, and beats the likes of Fabio, Dovi, let's not forget who everyone yeah. was like, Fabio or Dovi, it'll be them two, time, yeah. straight through won his first race, wins the championship. The guy's unbelievably talented. It's, you know, it is 20, a travesty. 2019 rookie, along with Fabio, along with yep. um, Pecco, Oliveira. All four of them were t- rookies in 2019. Not a bad batch. <laughs> Not a bad batch at all. And he ended, he, he started the, he started the, uh, what's the word? I broke the seal, you know. He started it with, with winning 2020, yep. then Fabio in 21. Then Does that mean that? I think Oliveira's Oliveira's 23. Here we go. Well, (laughs) history's funny. That's a funny way of doing things, but it seems that way. Yeah. Um, Anyway, to get back to the Valencia Grand Prix. Yes. Riders of the day. No prizes are going to be awarded for guessing Matt's theme of riders. He has picked Brad Binder, which I will remind you, if you're still here with us. He has picked Dennis Onchu, 
Augusto Fernandez and Brad Binder for his riders of the day. Any clue, Josh, as to why he's picked those three? Um, On cue, Fernandez and certain, uh, Binder. A certain Austrian brand, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, you're climbing up the right tree. It is obviously, of course, they're all KTM riders, which Matt will completely deny. However, mm-hmm. they've all finished second, and it's like, well, I can't pick the winner, and ironically, yeah, yeah. all second places are KTM, so I have to pick them. <laughs> um, so yeah, Matt's picked Brad Binder, which, as I mentioned earlier, great ride, came through the pack, and just obviously showed why he's known as a Sunday man. Um, my rider of the day, and call me what you like, I don't give two hoots, it is Fabio, because we've already discussed rode beautifully i could i could pick probably four or five more riders um Mm. for me but really i i think a lot of neutrals post race were saying how good it was to see fabio really just go for it and he just did ride beautifully that whole race um so yeah definitely worth a rider of the day from me and josh you know what josh if you want you don't you don't have to pick them but if you want with it being Suzuki's last, I think I'll give you the exception think, of picking Rins. Well, read by mine, but I just want to say who I won't be giving it to, which is uh, the two Repsol Honda riders for crashing out. <laughs> yeah. um, good one, Paul. Mike Marquez, typical winner bin it mentality. Uh, or and, either Aprilia. <laughs> or either Aprilia, which I think the song Alonso was in the paddock and they decided to both pull in <laughs> and be like, you know what, let's Go not pull how bizarre with that, can I just say, Aprilia? What what on earth happened? I mean... I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't know. Alicia hasn't had a fall from Grace, but he finished fourth, didn't he, in the championship? Yeah, I mean, everything motor racing jinxed it because they put a post up before the last race of the year and said that Bo Benschneider, Dennis Onchu, and Alicia Spargo in three categories, they were the only rider in each category to finish every race. <laughs> <sighs> And Alicia didn't finish. Do you know Alicia? This Alicia's season reminds me of a little bit like uh, remember when Leicester won the season, won, won yeah. the Premier League. Uh, Except it, Leicester won it. <laughs> well, Leicester won it. Well, no, no. What I'm going to compare them to is Tottenham, where it was a two-horse race. Oh yeah, and then they still and managed then, to finish third. <laughs> yeah, and they managed to finish third in the two-horse race. <laughs> That's yeah. a season. Because for a, t- a time, it was a two-horse race, and he's managed to finish fourth. Well, it, so. it was like two with Peko looming. Then it was like, okay, finish third then, and it was like, okay, Alicia finished third. Wait, what? <laughs> finish fourth? <laughs> oh, what? But, oh. I mean, credit to Aneo, because he's had a fucking brilliant year. And yes. having looked back in retrospect, thoroughly deserves that ride at Ducati. I think at time we were saying Zarco, at time we were saying um, Martin because of his form yeah. last year earlier on. And we're saying, well, if Anaya keeps it up, and he has, you know, he's had a great year, he definitely deserves it. But that's to come in the 2023 preview, or maybe in the 2022 review that we do. Yeah. Um, but you're going to give it Rins, is that right? Yes, of course. Alex Rins, Suzuki's last race. Um, idiots. Uh, and Alex Rins, who is just a top-class rider, who's, I'd, he's not underrated, but I think he's, he's underestimated at times what he can what he's capable of on his day. Um, he's like that yeah. guy that you see in the pub that you just always see him there, and then one night he'll just pull something out of the bag that you think, how on earth has he done that? You know what I mean? Like He'll it, it'll be there from like six, and he'll absolutely out-drink everyone without realising, and he's still there later on. And that's the rinse that you go, oh, didn't know you well, had that in you, to be fair. But then every other time, 
when he's like we as mates or something, he can have two or three and he's 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 done. Do you know what I mean? He's well, out yeah, of he's the so he's the guy who's at the pub and he's always falling over, yeah. and stumbling like yeah. like Rins is crashing, and every he, now and again he's always there. Do you know what I mean? And every now and again he'll pull out some some um, like parkour stuff in the in the beer garden or something. Yeah. And you're like, wow, he has some talent. <laughs> He's one of them that says, like, you want to be wary of him, and you think, what What do you mean by, got to be wary by him? And then you just see him pull that one thing off, that you go back <laughs> to the person that told you about him, and they go, I told you, I told you he had it in him. <laughs> That's the sort of Rin's character that we're dealing with. But, yeah. without making any weird analogies for Rin's, uh, we will be reviewing the full season with grades and looking back at our predictions in the following episode, so be sure to look out for that. Um, we're going to cover fantasy on that. We're not going to cover that yet because we're going to have a chat between ourselves on the whole episode as a, as a, as a whole. Um, but yeah, that has been it. I know we've gone on a bit of a tangent here and there between Rider Market 2024 and KTM and everything else in between. Um, but yeah, this has been our final review of 2022. It won't be our final episode. We have got a few things planned and a few things that we want to do yep. and some developments that we're going to try and get on with. So it won't be the last that you hear from us, but um, I will sign off with the um, socials and I'll let Josh have a, a final say on the full year besides doing the full review. Um, yeah. So yeah, check out our socials. If you want to join our Discord which is a community a, a, a community Discord, if I can get my words out, for everyone to join. If you want to talk bikes, GP, or any other crap, then you're more than welcome to join it through my Twitter, which is at BunnerGP underscore, or the Red Sector GP Twitter, at Red Sector GP, um, which you can follow us on both of us on there. You can follow Josh at Red Sector Josh yep. on Twitter. And you can follow Matt at Matt Polanski one on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram at Bunno GP Photography or just Bunno GP. Um, I'm not posting a lot at the minute, but if you're into all that jazz and you want to follow me, by all means, please do follow me. Um, but apart from that, that is the social side of things. And yeah, Josh, anything to sign off? I mean, obviously leave a review as well. That would be great if you can leave a review on the podcast. Yes, that'd be nice. Five star or four star or one star. But yeah, if a review <laughs> would be nice. But yeah, um, it's been another year, another year done dusted, our second one. Uh, it's been an interesting year. Uh, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Uh, Suzuki decided to chuck it, probably the low for me personally. Uh, I'll never get over it, in my opinion. It's just probably agree with that. Tragic. But highs, we've had some brilliant races, um, you know, some shock winners. Uh, you know, we've had some shock kind of results. Uh, you know, Bayern Nyaya coming back from the largest deficit in MotoGP history to win the title. Um, you know, Fabio fighting to the end. Aprilia showing that they've actually got there's something about them and they're not just in this spot, you know, to fill, fill bums on seats that can actually produce a, a race winning bike and one that can challenge for a title. Um, what else are we seeing? Well, we'll probably pick our like our moments of the season, um, close to the time. But I mean, even the few yeah. you mentioned there are great shouts. It's I just mean, a bit, a bit of a we've had trying a, to sum it all up in a one, but it's a tough one because yeah, it, we we have had a literally we have yeah. had an, an everything season. We've had we 
rider moves that we didn't expect, yeah. albeit not a crazy silly season. But with that, mm. we've had less bikes with Suzuki leaving. Yeah. We've had champions that have become yeah. retired GP <laughs> riders in Some a sense. We've yeah. had off-bike politics between riders' dads and journos and yeah. teams and this, that, and the other. Tiregate. Yeah, gate that's another one that we've had. Um, yeah, we've had we've had a bit of everything, which we will get into when we do the full episode. But in terms of the reviews, like you say, it is our second full season that we've done. And obviously, we do have a lot more to go on with this year. But if you are still listening, I just want to say a quick thank you from all of us yep. uh, for listening through the year. Or even if this is your first, then by means... Don't make it your last. Feel free to follow and don't make it your last. Yeah, it's it's been great doing them all year round. And... I know we have a very busy schedule between the three of us very. and we, we all try and chip in and get around to it and whatnot. But honestly, even seeing the numbers that we do and seeing the interactions and just having people interact with us revolving around the podcast is always a great feeling. So I just want to yeah. say a quick thank you for everybody to li- for, for listening Sorry, this year because ultimately if it wasn't for people listening and it was just us, we probably would still do it, which a lot of people would say we wouldn't do it without you you having everybody listen is a great addition and i love hearing that people have listened to the podcast so i just want to say thank you for making it so that when people do search for us you listening and leaving a review and following and whatnot makes it possible for other people to come and listen to us so for that reason i want to say thank you and thank you for any uh, for the support anyway it does it does actually mean a lot um even though we are very blunt and boring northerners if you can count me as a northerner i'm more a northerner than a southerner put it that way i might not be whole but yeah i'll I'll take the neither section if you like i mean i got holds also more north in the league table as well let's not get into that let's just put that in there for anyone let's let's not get onto that Um, i know that we've got a lot of american listeners so you know i'll say a lot but we have got american listeners think of a soccer team to follow then you know, Hull City is the team for you. I can guarantee you that. Uh, well, if there are any American listeners listening to this still, then I can assure you that Hull and anything revolved around Hull <laughs> is not to be associated with, especially when it comes to football or rugby or anything for that matter. Um, <laughs> I'm really going in on Hull there. Got a great yeah, bridge. Um, there's that. And we, yeah, and we Got do. a great bridge. Well, so, yeah. Well, well apart, from the, yeah, apart from the slander towards each other's towards each other's home home gaff, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it has been really fun this year, and I, I, it's been great doing it with you, Josh, and with Matt, who sadly isn't here with us tonight, but will be with us. But he will be episode. back. Yeah, he will be back next episode. You will have the full trio of tits next yes. episode. <laughs> um, not 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 physically, um, <laughs> disappointingly for a lot of you, but. Yes. Yeah, metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, no. So on that, I will sign it off. And with that, keep the throttle pinned. Yeah.